This podcast was recorded and produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Blackbirds acknowledges and pays respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. No offence, but... No offence, but you guys suck. Oh, no offence, though. Like, no offence. Great Britain has now become Snowflake Central. No, 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 no. Oh, my God. Look, no offence, but... Oh, oh my God. Oh. No, I am not proud of that. Like him a vegan sausage rolls. <laughs> what the fuck is going Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Offence But, a Blackbirds podcast. My name is Aisha, I am the Artistic Director of Blackbirds and the host of this podcast. I had last week off, I needed a little bit of a break, but I'm back and I'm really happy to be back in your ears, in your minds, in your hearts, hopefully. And while I'm there, may I say, can you please go rate, review and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already I love it. Share it on Instagram. Do whatever you can because it really helps my small, teeny tiny little podcast, which I love making, and just helps me, you know, get it out to more people. So I would really appreciate that. In today's episode, I chat with Sabina McKenna, a writer, curator, and the creator of the Where Are You From project, a photojournalistic series about cultural identity. Sabina has been featured locally and internationally in publications that include Art Almanac, Broadsheet, Archer, Acclaim, ID, Girl, Ladies of Leisure, Catalogue Magazine and Hopes and Fears. Sabina is of Nigerian and Irish ancestry, born and raised in Australia and a child of the diaspora. We chat about what it's like to connect to a culture you're so far from geographically, the romanticisation that comes into play and what happens when you don't have that burning desire to go back home. Plus, Sabina shares on her experiences of the where are you from question, which led her to start the platform, the importance of loving yourself, the risk in people thinking that the BLM movement has a point of completion and how we as black women and women of colour find ourselves overcompensating for other people's prejudices. This was a really wonderful chat. I love Sabina's work I really admire what she does and I'm really excited to share this chat with you so have a listen share it with your mum share it with your friends share it with your sister your brother get your cat along to listen as well because everyone will love it so let's get into the chat welcome Sabina so nice to have you here to chat thank you thanks for having me pleasure okay so first question what I ask everyone is when was the last time you offended someone or someone offended you? So um, I thought about this like for so long because <laughs> I didn't know what would be worth like sharing, but it, this is kind of like funny and also kind of serious. So um, I recently started like dating again and um, yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit cringe, but I've been, spe- I was speaking to this person, like we hadn't been speaking for long, we just like talking about like cooking and a few like you know small talk yes I was talking to this person and they were like so what's your like um topic that you write about usually and I was like oh yeah I mostly do interviews and um you know I write about culture as well and they were like oh so you're like Oprah but like way hotter and just as ambitious (laughs) I was like I like in the moment I was like I laughed but then I was like because like 
Oprah is something that people would call me in high school, like, to be racist. Really? And, like, I'm sure many people have gotten that where, like, Oprah's, like, the only other black person they know. And, like, I was, like, so basically what you're saying is, like, Oprah's black and so are you. <laughs> like, there's literally nothing that you're saying. But it was it was just racist. But I, it was just so silly that, like, this person was saying this to me and thought it was funny. It was trying to, like, yeah. have a joke. Anyway, so that was probably the last time I was offended because there's, there's not much that offends me. But <laughs> Did you call them out on it later or did you just let it go? Um, I didn't really bother with this person because we hadn't really gotten to the point of, like, forming any kind of, like, kinship. So mm-hmm. I just, like, blocked. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's really offensive. I mean, also, like, they could just say you have a similar ambition to Oprah, you know, like. I just don't like that whole thing of drawing comparison to another person of colour. Like, it's, yeah. it's literally just like, oh, I, I know another person of colour and I'm going to bring that up in this situation because I'm thinking about your race. Yes. I, I think it's weird. It would be like me being like, you know, oh, like, so, like, to a completely unrelated like person who has a completely unrelated profession, like, oh, so you're like Shane Warne, but you do like X profession that they do. Like what? <laughs> Makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. Totally. I don't know. That's a good like analogy, but yeah. It's just, no, yeah, I get it. A bit yucky. But anyway. <laughs> Onwards and upwards. Yeah. <laughs> so you touched on it a little bit before talking about that, you know, you do interviews and, and you write about culture. Can you introduce yourself a bit to the audience? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I started out as a writer. I do lots of, um, yeah, interview a lot of creative people um, and write kind of, like, about identity a lot. And then um, about three years ago, I started a project called Where Are You From?, which is, like, a, a photojournalistic series exploring that question but also just the nuances in Australian cultural identities. So, um people who were born here, people who migrated here, or just basically anyone here who's a non-white identity. And just looking at microaggressions and like how a lot lot of the time um, our interactions with people and some of the things they say, like, where are you from, can actually be um, a lot more loaded than you think. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, how ways of addressing that and unpacking it. I actually just, I started the project because I was asked that question my whole life. And yeah, I, yeah, often felt, I often felt crazy, like a bit isolated in the experience in that it would be so casual often the way that it would be asked. And then I would get upset and people would get upset or offended that I got upset. Mm. And so I wanted to interrogate whether like it was something that was loaded or not in like by asking other people of color, because yeah, it's just it was kind of selfish in that way. <laughs> I just wanted to yeah. make sense of my own experience. But yeah, I think it helps other people do that for themselves, which is the, the good part about it. So. Yeah, yeah, totally. And why did you choose the mediums of photography and like interview or long form response for the project? Yeah. So being a writer, I love reading and I love the way that, um, memoir style like you know first person writing can kind of speak to you and touch on parts of your life in ways that um you know other forms of writing can't or other mediums can't Mm. it's a very like private kind of way of receiving information and so um I wanted to pair that with a with a photo because I spent so much of my life not seeing myself 
in other people or in media or anywhere for that matter. Like I was always, mainly when I was younger, like less so now, but I was always the only like brown person or you mm-hmm. know, brown woman, especially. And that was kind of like every time I'd see like a mixed person, like randomly, like every six months or something, I would be like, Oh my God, like, that girl's mixed as well or like you know she looks like me because we do you do kind of like need to see that to yeah have like to form that sense of identity in a healthy way so I wanted to make something that people could read the experiences yes but also come to a website or an exhibition and then be like whoa there's all these beautiful faces that kind of like have remnants of my beautiful face as well you know yeah that's gorgeous yeah. and you are Nigerian and Irish, Nigerian and yep. Irish ancestry. Do you feel like more connected to a particular part of your culture or do you feel like you are very much in the middle? I think I am more skewed towards, um, I guess, my Australian Irish mm-hmm. like upbringing. Yeah. I, I kind of identify with being raised, born and raised here and that, yeah. that whatever cultural experience comes with that. And um because uh, I like, even though I present as someone um, who is a person of colour, you know, I look African and people identify me in that way. I'm so far removed from my Nigerian heritage and I wasn't really like that close to my dad. So I was raised yeah. by my mom. Yeah. I grew up in like, um, you know, Huck and St Kilda. Like it's very white neighbourhood. Yeah. So I, I don't think I had the opportunity to kind of get to know my Nigerian side, but what I do have a connection to is like my blackness and, yes. and the, the experience of being black and the kind of plight or, you know, those kinds yes. of things that you get from being a part of a community and talking about um, the things we experience and the, and the things that are important to us with other black people. And um, yeah, so that's the way I experience my culture, but that took a really long a long while to get to because for a lot of my life I just identified with being the daughter of my mom who's white Australian yeah and um yeah you know growing up in a city and I never thought that I needed to belong to any any other culture because I hadn't been in Nigeria and I don't have any you know cultural practice at home that is Nigerian as much Mm. as I would love to learn about that and understand where um my place in that in that world and my connection to that it's there's nothing there's no part of me that's like yearning to go back to the motherland or anything like that yeah. yeah which i think can be something that people often like project onto you or expect of you and like yeah like my brother my brother and sister have been to their um their mom's filipino so they're mixed as well but we're only my, we have a dad in common yeah and um he took them to nigeria and not me <laughs> Even though I'm the first one, but like, whoa, yeah, it's, it's scandalous, but yeah, dad, dad, you know, but, um, I don't know. I just feel like that would have been a cool opportunity to go there and like meet them. But I just haven't really ever had that. I haven't been close enough with my dad to have that. So it's a weird thing. I don't know. I feel, you also feel a bit weird saying like, no, I don't connect to my Nigerian heritage because like. I I know my tribe and like I you know whenever I meet another Nigerian we're like oh what's your tribe and like we talk we have like a little bit of a connection there and I have started like looking into like Nigerian um, diasporic writers and trying to explore things in that way and um, I wanted to learn about like 
Igbo like spiritual practice as well. Mm-hmm. Cause like, I know there's a lot of that, but yeah, it's baby steps I think. Cause like it took a long time to kind of like identify with being a person of color mm-hmm. because I think like growing up in a white like landscape, you try to um, assimilate as much as you can. Even if you're born here, you're kind of like, you know, I used to like, straighten my hair, wear lighter foundation, all those kind of problematic things. Mm. But now I think that I'm like, I'm, I fully accept myself and being a mixed person and I have a community of mixed people mm-hmm. that I can like I, identify with. I say mixed because a lot of the time when I was growing up as well, I would be pigeonholed into you know, oh, you're black. And then, but then like people who were darker skinned or who migrated here wouldn't, I wouldn't really belong with them. And Mm -hmm. so you kind of pushed in either direction and then starting where you're from as well. I realized that like, that's, that's who I am. I am in between and there are other people who are in between and have different multiple or, you know, two cultures that they, that make up who they are and that's okay. Like you can be Mm. one thing. Yeah. Mm. There's so much stuff that you said there that I like, related to so hard especially I think all the stuff about you know it even when you mentioned you're looking into like Nigerian diasporic writers and and things like that it's like that's so important to mention I think because that is your culture as well being of the diaspora and so that experience Mm. is so individual and like you can't be expected to be super attached to one culture when your whole existence is based on being away from it and also being a part of so many others, you know? So, yeah. And I think that it's this huge romanticization that we put on ourselves and that society puts on us to quote unquote go home and like that it's going to be some big revolutionary experience. And I, I romanticized that for myself when I went back to Grenada and it just, Mm. It wasn't like that at all. Like, oh, yeah, really? That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like that at all. Like, it was fine, but it, it wasn't the way that I thought it would be because I always say to people, like, I went back and I thought that I would feel like I'm at home and, like, everyone mm. here would know me as one of theirs. But I literally went back and people asked me where I was from. And I was like, yeah. guys, I was born here. Like, this is where I'm from. And they're like, no, mm. don't think so. Thank you from London. I was like, no, not really, not at all. But... Yeah, it's really interesting because I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves being so in between everything here that when we go Mm. to one of our homes, like our geographical homes, that will just fit in all of a sudden, but it's not that simple. Totally. And yeah, I feel like um, that's such a big thing, hey, like being pulled, when you're like told that you don't belong from your whole life and you're just constantly trying to be like, okay, do I belong here? Like if I do this, will I belong? Or like... It's just you you have the answer already, I think, because you don't exist in one place and you're not what part of one culture. Like you're a mix of many things that make you one. And it's interesting that you mentioned London because New York is a similar place for mm. you know, for many reasons. And I spent a couple of years living there and I felt so much more at home there than I have anywhere else because wow. it Yeah, not because I felt like I was identified with, you know, being African-American as such, but just that, like, you know, there were lots more um, mixed people there and, like, of all different kind of, like, cultures and backgrounds and people didn't ask me, when they asked me, where are you from, they asked me why I was speaking with an Australian accent. It wasn't because of what I looked like. 
Yeah. So, yeah, and, like, I guess London, I've, I've spoken to people who have lived in London and have had that experience as well because it's just, like, more normal to be mixed in those places or something. That, totally. like, people don't, you don't stand out in that way. Whereas, like, I think I have the same, I have, like, this intuitive feeling that if I did go back to Nigeria or, like, go to Nigeria, it would be the same thing because, like, at the end of the day, like, that's a very different experience that, like people going up there that would have had to use so you know yeah for sure yeah and what was school like for you when you were growing up were there any other mixed race kids at school people of color in primary school I was like the only because I moved around a lot my mum was like living and working in East Timor for a lot of the time yeah so we would go back a lot from when I was two till about 10 or 11 um, and then towards the end, I lived with my dad and stepmom. They lived in um, Glenroy at the time. Uh, and I went to high school, I mean, primary school out there. And that was really hard. I was like, yeah, the only like brown person. And I was like the tallest girl, like the broadest girl. And like, I just stood out like a sore thumb. And I was, I guess like pretty unhappy at that age, just because I had a lot of things going on, but it was just like, this thing of being like the weirdo or whatever, (laughs) which you kind of get used to. In high school, things were a little bit different because I moved back with my mom and that was in a city and there were um, my best friend, Claudette, and her sisters were at my school and they were mixed. And it was a lot more, it was a public school, so there were a lot more people like me around. But I still felt pretty different. Like, um, I think when you're in those kind of like adolescent years, there's a lot of um, self like discovery and like soul searching that you're doing and Mm. you want to be liked and you want to like have like little romances or, you know, do these things and, um, you know, get dressed up and go out or whatever. And I feel like a lot of the time that was me realizing that like I was different and like I wasn't um, desirable or I wasn't cool for whatever reason. And it was, it was that kind of racism that you, don't really know that it's happening at the time and you can't really put your finger on it, but people always kind of treat you a little bit different to your best friend or different to your, yeah, yeah the person that you're with. And I don't know, I feel like those years were tough. Like they were fun. I had a lot of fun, but that was like, you know, going through the whole thing with my hair. Like that was when I look back at how, much I hated my hair and how much actually hate is a strong word, how much I struggled to like my hair mm. and all the things I did all the time I spent and money I spent trying to like conceal it. You know, I was used relaxer. Mm. My dad used to relax my hair. And then when my dad stopped relaxing my hair, I tried relaxing my hair and then it fell out and oh. then I grew it back. Um, yeah. And then when I grew it back to like shoulder length, um, I got extensions and then I had to straighten the extensions to match the hair. And I had hair like that for years. And it was just this whole thing of like, no one ever saw my natural hair. I would never go swimming. If it was raining, that would just be not a thing. I still kind of get triggered when it rains. Wow. <laughs> like, and you live in I'm Melbourne. Like, girl. Yeah. Yeah. It was a nightmare. It was just, it's, it just is all consuming. And like, you just like, it's not even the labor that you put into that. That is the issue. I think it's, it's like the shame that you, Mm. that you're constantly, you're doing a ritual every day 
being like, I have to hide this part of myself. I have to hide this part of myself. It's not beautiful. I won't be accepted. I won't be taken seriously. And just how internalized that is and how now I'm articulating that to you. But at the time, I just like to wear my hair that way or I'm seeing mm. people telling me what to do with my hair. Like I should have autonomy, which is true. But like after interrogating where that comes from, you're just like, wow, like I really just, I was so ashamed of who I am. And so I think that was a lot of my school days was kind of trying to, you know, fit in, like be, lose weight and be healthy. And yeah. Like all those kinds of things that were pretty toxic and of course carry through to my adulthood because yeah. they come from, you know, experiences you have and traumas that kind of become part of you, but that you, you, then you dig your way out and you work through and the self acceptance can come through after that. Mm. But yeah, I think I didn't really experience too much, I guess, like covert kind of racism. Also, like there were there were things there here and there, like like the Oprah story where I'd be like, okay, like you're clearly like racist. I'm not going to talk to you again. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think it was just more more that like developing, finding who you are, and like just trying to fit in. But, yeah. yeah. Do you say you relate to that? Yeah, for sure. And I also think I was listening to another podcast the other day and they were talking about women's bodies and like body shaming and eating disorders. And one of the women was saying that it's so hard to fully ever recover from these or remove these kind of triggers from your life because it's a societal issue that then becomes Mm -hmm. a personal issue. But it's like everywhere we see, it's like, it's the straight haired blonde girls with the light skin who are put on a pedestal or it's the thin girls or like people everywhere are talking about counting calories and all these types of things that Mm. it's so hard to kind of rid yourself of these thoughts because they're just permeating through culture like it's actually wild to think about it and then and then again through that that's like one of the ways that the patriarchy takes hold of women's lives is that it's something Mm. that we think about our appearance and us pleasing people through the way we look through every moment so it's like Mm. wow how do we fix this I don't know totally yeah I remember having a moment like that where I mean I feel like I have those moments that often where I'm like oh my god we're in such shit (laughs) yeah it's so hard to dig out but um I it was similarly listening to a podcast they were talking about how um they had set boundaries with their partner saying you're not allowed to comment on what I eat whether how small or big you're mm-hmm. not allowed to comment on my weight no, no matter whether I've lost weight or put on weight or mm-hmm. I'm looking fit or anything and you're not allowed to comment on the type of food that we eat or that I eat so like you can't say oh that's like a bit naughty or anything like that yeah and just a, a simple kind of like set of rules like that just really brought to light how toxic all these little things are that we do like even saying like oh I don't know just I actually think that the commenting on people's body and appearance is the biggest one because it's like you know you might be having like a time where you're really stressed and maybe you're not eating as much and you're not feeling very well or your mental health isn't doing so good and you've lost a bit of weight and for somebody to compliment you at that time Mm. reinforces a negative behavior, which often is the case. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's times where you you're looking trim because you've been exercising or whatever. And maybe that's your, that's your um, intention, but just the way that we're rewarded for for appearing 
closer to the conventional standard of beauty, whether we necessarily wanted that for ourselves or not. It takes away our autonomy when someone says, oh, you look so trim. It's like, well, I actually don't want to, I hate my body right now. Or, exactly. You know, yeah. So I just think like that really kind of made me understand because you even do that yourself. Like I would say stuff like that to people like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm really or I really like your outfit or like, oh, you've been working out. Like, yeah. cause it's a compliment, but actually like you shouldn't be commenting on other people's appearances like ever really. Like, totally. <laughs> cause you also don't know the way, the ways in which you'll trigger someone. And like, yeah, exactly to your point before, like when I was really physically unwell, like I lost, I reckon like 15 kilos. I was so mm-hmm. thin. Mm. I never, I was also so depressed and like mm. people would tell me that I looked amazing. And I was like, are you joking? Like I feel just like I feel so sick all the time like because I had stomach surgery so I couldn't eat anything which is why I'd lost mm-hmm. heaps of weight but it was like I'm no please don't tell me I look good I've like literally can't get out of bed in the morning but it's wild because yeah. people think they're being nice because we're told that thinliness is next to godliness thinliness yeah. I don't even think that's a word <laughs> <laughs> we can make it a word that's how we're coining word. that phrase yeah. thinliness is not next to godliness <laughs> exactly so, so when you were younger and you were like experiencing or understanding what racism was and how it affected you how did you kind of yeah. unpack those situations like did you unpack them with your mum because I know you said you're closer to your mum but she's mm. obviously white and like how did she kind of deal with that because I would talk to my mum about it because I grew up with my mum. My mum's brown, but much lighter mm-hmm. skin than I am. And my mum's mm-hmm. advice was always so like, bless her soul, she's a lovely woman, but her advice was always so aggressive. She'd be like, just tell them to stuff up, like all these types <laughs> of things. And I was like, okay, no, I really can't do that. Um, <laughs> like, what was your relationship like with your mum in talking to her about that kind of stuff? My mum and I are very close. Like, she has always been someone that I have looked up to I mean we had our times when I was really like in my teen horrible teen years where like she wasn't my best friend but I quickly kind of came around to the fact that she is a pretty inspiring human being and she was always she's very creative like me she's a writer I mean I am who I am because of her I always say because she, she always kind of exposed me to information and like books and you know take me to the theater and like Um, we always lived in the city and we would always kind of have very progressive conversations from when I was a really young girl, I Mm -hmm. was talking about feminism and yeah, women's rights and identity and, or even just like social issues surrounding like, you know, Australian society and things that are happening in politics and all that kind of stuff. So I think my mom is quite, was progressive enough to understand what I was going through without being actually able to understand. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I mean, her advice to me came in forms of like, actually, I remember one time, I'll never forget this. I still have the notes she left me, but I came home from, it must've been a party or something like, or maybe it was school and I was crying. I was, I was probably 14 or 15 and I was just like really upset because something happened or I had a fight. And I often felt like that. (laughs) I would often come home and just like, cry for a week or be like, I hate myself and I hate everything. And she left me a note on my bed. She went, when she went to work, she left me a note on my bed and she was like, not everybody likes me and I don't like everybody. Love mom or something like that. It was along those lines. And just like that, that whole thing of being like, it's not about you 
and necessarily or about other people. It's just the fact that like you've got people going to be different to you and you're going to be different to people and you're going to have differences and you're not going to like everybody and they're not going to like you. And whether that comes from people being racist or their inherent biases or maybe I'm a type A personality and they're not, (laughs) it just is about it not being a match. And I think that's something I've carried with me for a long time because yeah, I mean, I'm kind of like going on a tangent, but yeah, in terms of racism, I think that she would give me advice and console me in a way that wasn't necessarily about like racism and my place in society, you know, when I got older and we were having a lot more sophisticated conversations about race and I was doing a lot more work in the field and like was reading books and talking to people and going to kind of like events and like with my where you from stuff, like I was a lot more involved in talking about and speaking about identity. There were times where I would say something to my mom and she wouldn't get it as simple as something like my friend was having my friend Alian lives in New York and he was telling me about how he started a book club with his friends and they were only going to read women of colour writers. So that was like the curriculum, which is amazing because obviously those are the most underread authors with the least opportunities and so it's mm. a way of supporting simple concept, right? Yeah. <laughs> and my, I told my mom about this and I was like, oh, it's amazing. Like Alian and his friends, like they're having, they, they started a walk book club. And um, my friend Alian is, he's of Bedouin heritage, but he's white passing, like blonde white passing. And I just thought it was really cute that that's, he wanted to honor women of color, even though it's not necessarily his own identity. Yeah. And yeah. And my mom was just like, Oh, just kind of like in the moment, maybe thought, Oh, well like, you know, white women, white women who write are important as well, which is true. But you know what I mean? You know what I'm getting at? And so I, yeah, it just like little moments like that where, where, because I am a woman of color and because I talk about intersectional identity and it's at the crux of my experience and I have to understand it and interrogate it every day. There are things like that where sometimes there's a little bit of like um, friction, but then it's quickly resolved or I'll, you know, continue the conversation with her maybe another time and then she'll have come around to it. So I think it's about just sharing that, especially like being a child of white parents. Often I think there are things like that that you don't acknowledge because it's hard to do that when your family are closest to you and Mm. they know you and they raised you. And so actually thinking, oh, okay, my mum has a different place in society to me or them thinking, okay, my child's going to have experiences that I don't understand. I would say that you would have to interrogate either sides of that experience to relate to each other in the safest way possible. Thankfully, I don't really have that issue with my mom. Like she's just a God. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm really grateful for her, but you know, we have our, she's a human being and we've had our little things here and there, but I do want to interrogate that whole experience a lot uh, you know more in some other way because um have you read Brenny Edo Lodge's book yes yeah I'm no longer talking to white people about race yeah she yes. talks about it briefly and she, I think one of the essays is about um mixed children with white parents and how that often results in the parents being you know perpetrators of those those um microaggressions or like kinds of trauma because their experiences are raced or they say, or they are racist 
and they're behaving and speaking about things in a way that is oppressing their child and they don't even really realise it because they're white and they can't understand. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so it's like kind of like not friendly fire but like just incidental racism in a way. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, anyway, I just kind of rambled a bit but yeah. <laughs> no, it was very good. So earlier you were talking about part of the reason why you started where you're from and called it where you're from is because you've been asked that question so much mm-hmm. as a kid and just in your life in general. What is one, like, where are you from experience or question that you've had that has particularly stood out to you for good mm-hmm. or bad reasons? Um, there are so many. I can actually see, like, people's faces in my head right now. Like, wow, looking like this. When I was like, <laughs> I'm from here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I can't think of a single encounter where, which is ironic because that's what I ask people in the project. I'm like, just, I'm like, tell me a story. I do often think of times when I was working in hospitality and people would ask that question because mm. I think that is a situation where there is definitely a hierarchy of power and people always would ask me that question in the, in that circumstance. I don't work in hospitality anymore. I haven't for like a couple of years and I haven't been asked that question nearly as much. Wow. Now when, I, yeah, now when I'm asked, it's usually by um, another person of colour. I get asked by Uber drivers a lot, which is kind of fine. I'm like, yeah. whatever. Unless they're being sleazy and then I'm just kind of like, oh. Ignore them. Yeah. Ignore them. Yeah. But usually when it's another person of colour, it's like totally fine. But yeah, they just, people would get so angry because you're, um, I guess, being of service to them in those situations and they'd be paying the bill and they'd be like, oh, you know, you're so beautiful. Or like, I can't tell like what your like complexion is. Like, where are you from? And I'd be like, oh, I'm from Melbourne. Yeah. And, And they'd be like, oh, no, no, I know. But like, where are you actually from? I'd be like, oh yeah, I grew up like in Albert Park. I'm from here. <laughs> like I couldn't be more from here. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, Listen yeah, to I'm my not, voice. I'm not First Nation, but like, yeah, like it's, you know, without erasing the people who were here first. Like, yeah. yeah. And it's always that, you know, can, persistence. And I'm like, nowadays I'm like, oh, so do you mean, what is your cultural background? Like, are you talking about my ethnicity? And they're like, oh, okay. Oh yeah. Like, oh, oh. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, a bit like awkward. Like, yes, I was asking you why you're brown, but I didn't want to say that because I'm not being rude. Like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I tell them, yeah, you know, my dad's Nigerian, mom's Australian. Oh, interesting. That's so exotic. Oh, oh, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful for a person of color. Yeah, like you know, like that's it's just all the implications that you're just like you know what's implied that people don't say, but it's there. Yeah, so that's how it goes when I oblige the question. But when I'm like, no, I don't feel like answering that question. It's just anger or. Oh, well, I just, I just, I was working at a restaurant in East Brunswick and yeah, this one woman had asked me and I just didn't feel like it. I was just like, no, like, I don't really feel like answering that question. Sorry. And then she went into this whole thing of being like, oh, I just don't understand. Look, I've seen how like, it's just, everyone's talking about how that question's rude. Like, it's just a question. We're just curious. It doesn't mean that like, we're, it's not rude to ask someone where they're from. And I was like, well, what if I asked you where you're from? And she just kept on going on about how like, she, she wasn't being rude and like completely deflected. Oh. So yeah, it's just a lot of that where you kind of, it's also the thing of like not wanting to be the problematic um, person of color. 
like yes. not like accommodating like with this project I've been working on um lately that collaboration a recurring thing was like I don't want to say that like I don't want to say that it's racism like because like that's like really hectic like I, I just when people say this to me I kind of like apologize I find myself apologizing for the way that they've made me feel or uh, I was interviewing this model who often has had experiences she's a big model big international model can't get her hair and makeup done on set there were there have been times where she's been on shoots even in Africa and they the stylist couldn't braid her hair or style her hair for runways and stuff like that yeah and it's just like like you are at this level of the industry and people still can't you know match your skin tone like or you know learn how to do your hair or even just tell you how to do your hair before or something like that like communicate yeah. away you know it's that whole thing of like apologizing or modifying yourself we like behave in a different way to be perceived by people it's like overcompensating for people's prejudice and inherent biases before totally it has a chance to kind of like be a problem or whatever and i think yeah i think we apologize a lot women in general apologize a lot just for mm. existing and then i think black and brown women just apologize even more even with the way that we we make up for other people treating us badly like yes they're like oh sorry we don't have your foundation color like oh no it's okay it's okay yeah like, don't worry about it no it's actually bad like what are you talking about you don't have my foundation color it's a grown ass 2021 like get your shit together the amount of times i've gone to the hairdresser like not so much now because i go to curly hairdressers but i used to have one hairdresser in a salon who knew how to do afro hair and he was like my always always a hairdresser and whenever he wasn't there and like or someone would like do the first part of my hair and then he would finish it if he was busy the amount of times i went to the hairdresser and did my own hair like no because yes 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 because they put you in the body hair washing thing. They start doing this, mushing your hair in all directions with shampoo. And I was like, you've already, mm-hmm. you've set the tone wrong. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, get to the conditioning stage and they pull out the finest to- tooth comb in the world. Mm-hmm. Might as well be a lice comb and Terrifying. start trying to comb out your hair. It's like, do you think we have a week here? Because <laughs> you're going to break all my hair off. Literally, so, you're going to go yeah. out bald. Yeah, so... You know, I'd be like, oh, sorry, like, don't worry, I'll help you here. Like, we need this. I brought my comb. I brought my comb. I brought my foundation. I brought my this, you know, like, just doing your job for you. And then, yeah, the blow drying. Like, just the amount of times. And then it's apologizing and then being like, oh, like, you don't have to pay for that part because you did it. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. That's so nice of you. Not like, yeah, of course I'm not paying for that part because I did your job. How do you think that social media because where you're from is heavily on social media as well being you know on a website but how do you think social media has helped change the conversation about activism and the reclamation of people's identities um i think it's helped so much i think that we have ways yeah we have ways of making our own platforms and putting our message out there that we didn't have before we've taken kind of over the monopoly that there was on popular media and all that kind of stuff with online we can just start our own publications Mm -hmm. and we can have our own um, social media movements and I think the autonomy that social media brings is really 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 important and the ability to curate your feeds and your Mm -hmm. community and reach out to people who 
you would otherwise not have access to is so powerful, especially for minorities, because there are so many gatekeepers and they still exist. And, you know, obviously with power structures, you can't necessarily penetrate them just with a hashtag or whatever, but like you can definitely do a lot more now than you could in the past. And I mean, where you from was something I started as like a passion project. One, like one month I had a few extra weeks to myself in between uni. And I was like, I just want to explore this thing that was meaningful to me, but I never thought that would resonate so much with other people. Mm. And, you know, that's something I just put online. I built that, I built that website myself. I started, you know, I do the social media, like it sometimes doesn't look like that because of the output or how it can appear online, but it's just so powerful that we can, we have all these tools and especially being of the generation that we are, where we are digital natives and Mm. a lot of this stuff is second nature to us. And we're like, Oh, I want to do this. Or I'm just going to go online and do it. Or I'm going to have an event. Like you don't need to have money or really any resources to do the things that you want to do. Having said that, I acknowledge my privilege in that I have access to education and people who, I've learned from people and I've had a lot of experiences and opportunities that many other people don't. But I do think that, yeah, the internet is such a great way to connect us and definitely to find our communities as well, because being younger and so isolated in my identity and experience, like had I had the internet and other people that I could follow or connect with online, I can't say that it would be the same. So mm-hmm. yeah, obviously there's a negative side to the internet and in that it can be really tokenistic talking about, you know, the, a move, the movement last year, that was really positive for a lot of the community. We've got so many opportunities and there was a lot of awareness raised about the work that we've been doing for years. And that acknowledgement felt good for like a point for a moment. Mm-hmm. Then it was like, okay, cool. So I've been talking to you about race and identity for how long and you didn't care really before. Yeah. Now you care because it's, it's a movement. Like, yeah. Don't sit down and talk to me about race. <laughs> yeah. Really? No, please don't like, please spare me. Also like, this is really traumatic. It's really traumatic for people yeah. to talk about race and to be bombarded with that for months and months and months on every television screen, in every conversation, people coming up to you being like, are you okay? Oh, I'm here to listen. Oh, I'm reading this book about this. Have you read it? I'm reading Bell Hooks. Do you know her? Mm. Yes, I know Bell Hooks. Like, It's actually wild, just, isn't it? It's wild. That was wild. And people, again, like being like, people who ask where you're from, like it doesn't necessarily come from a bad place, but when and like you know people sitting down being like oh I want to talk to you about this racial stuff that you definitely know about because you're a person of color but I don't know that you would know that because I'm not a person of color you know yeah it's it's kind of incidental it's not like malicious per se but it's just like okay now you need to interrogate why you like why you didn't know, why you're coming to the only person of color who's been talking to you about race for this whole time, why you care now like do it among yourselves. Go Mm -hmm. over there. Mm -hmm. Do it among yourselves. Like we're busy. (laughs) Yes. We are very busy and we are very tired. So you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's like, there needs to be a little bit more acknowledgement when it comes to the labor and the lived experience that goes into these things. I know people think that it's like a trend, black rights and like, 
civil rights just popped up all of a sudden. It's like, yeah, it's been a big issue for a very long time. And now you're realizing like, please spare me. Yeah. Yeah. And that just highlights Um, their privilege, right? Because it's like, you've never had to think about it before. Exactly. I think about it every, every moment I'm breathing and living. It's part of my existence. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the danger with that is, is that I think, with a trend and something that becomes really widely known, there's this sense of um, completion or mm. like a precipice or something like that that's reached where we're like, oh, it's fine. Like everybody knows about that now. Like we've all we're all doing the work. Like we're all got our reading list that we're doing. Like we've talked about it because they don't understand that. Like it doesn't stop there. It won't stop there. And it hasn't stopped there. Like how long ago was the civil rights movement? And yet we're still in the same problem. Yeah. Different, you know, different day, same problem. That's where it can be really dangerous is, is when the conversation stops and people think, Oh, you know, we don't have to worry about black rights anymore. People can, people are equal. I think everyone's equal. I don't see color. It's like women's rights. Oh, we don't need to worry about like, violence against women women can vote like it would be like saying that yeah it's just it's just not that simple big sister moment for you do you have any words of encouragement for people who are struggling with their identities or like just feeling like they don't fit in i would say i mean i always say to people that the, the best way to feel to love yourself more and to accept yourself more is to find other people like you. So yeah, find your community. If you feel like you don't fit in somewhere, maybe try and look around you and see where you're trying to fit into where or what you're trying to fit into and try and interrogate whether that those places and those people are for you. I'm like a big believer in kind of like controlling your surroundings like Mm -hmm. you know if something's negative get away from it if you Mm -hmm. as much as you can get away from it do as much as you can to change it like if you can control the situation in any way just try and do what you can take that first baby step break it down into little steps and do it teach people and show people how how to treat you so Mm -hmm. if someone is treating you in a way that you feel like is making you feel like you don't belong or is racist or sexist or homophobic or whatever get the fuck away from them (laughs) just like don't talk to them remove yourself from the situation obviously like there are dangerous situations where you you might be cornered by someone I hope that's not the situation that you're in but you do have control of your surroundings and you can choose who to hang out with even if it means that you're alone for a few months while you find some new friends but you can like your relationship with yourself is the most important thing. And the way that other people project their opinions and even like real passively kind of like put you down. Like the friends I had in high school were like my best friends, but they were always kind of like saying things, commenting on my hair or I wasn't Mm. the cute one. They were the cute one. They were centering themselves in everything. And I was like a wing woman or something like that. Mm. I was like, you know, the, the brown best friend, that kind yeah. of archetype. Yeah. And you don't need to have people like that in your life. You don't need to be in toxic situation, situations like that. If someone's racist or you're in a job where people are treating you like shit, just leave. Taking action for yourself and taking control of the things that you can control is just such a powerful thing. And if you can't control something, get over it. Just try and get over it. And like, 
see it for what it is and move past it because I think that your mindset is so powerful and yeah I don't know I feel like sometimes that can come across as a little bit flippant but I don't mean it in that way I mean Mm. with the most utmost sensitivity and compassion I say that do what you can to control your surroundings and prioritize Mm. your relationship with yourself very much so last question do you have a recommendation for the listeners something that they could try at home something they could watch read anything at all I read a book recently by Zadie Smith (gasps) oh what one um intimations oh I haven't read that and it's about it's it's essays yeah and it's essays that she wrote last year obviously when the whole world was falling apart and she was living in New York and it's just the most beautiful it's really short it's I would call it even like a vignette except it's a collection of essays but it's very short length like it's 100 pages oh wow yeah you can read it in like two days yeah but it's just beautiful she just like the way that she describes what she's seeing and you know articulates the emotions and kind of like pondering that she that we all went through and internalized and conceptualized in isolation and how everything we knew to be normal was challenged and while at the same time the Black Lives Matter movement was going on and everything that we thought was normal actually wasn't it was never normal at all like it was always catastrophe and it was always kind of the world kind of melting down in a way she just draws beautiful comparisons and metaphors and all kinds, all those kinds of things from that situation. And she's such a beautiful writer. And it's just like a really nice kind of thing to read in retrospect, especially because I think that last year was such an introspective um, year for everyone. Yeah. And yeah, it was really hard. For some people, it was really positive, but like really hard in whatever way it was hard for each person. So I definitely recommend reading that. Totally. Well, thank you so much. It's been so lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of No Offence But. I really enjoyed my chat with Sabina. I found there were so many things that Sabina was saying that really resonated with me and my experience and perhaps they resonated with you and yours as well. Make sure you go check out Sabina on Instagram. I have linked it in the show notes as well as where you can find the Where Are You From project If you have any questions, any feedback, any suggestions for guests or episode themes, feel free to hit me up. You can find me on Instagram or you can email me. I've also put all of that in the show notes as well. Next week, I will be back with another episode, episode two or part two, sorry, of the Treaty of Waitangi episode that I released a couple of weeks ago. So... This is the conclusion that you've all been waiting for. And in the meantime, I will just remind you lovingly once more, rate, review, subscribe, share, tell your boss, tell your neighbor, tell anyone, tell the shopkeeper and have a fabulous week and I will talk to you soon. Bye.